Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, March 4th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next hour or so. Let's go over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me as I've got two guests and two separate segments here on today's show. The first with professional handicapper Brian Leonard from wagertalk.com. We'll talk in general about some conference tournament betting strategies. We'll talk about the National League Central Division after talking about the AL Central on last week's show. Then we'll talk a little bit about the NBA with about six weeks left to go in the regular season here. Then in the second part of today's show, we'll chat with Wes Reynolds of VEASAN about some college basketball conference tournament stuff, about week five in the XFL, and also get his thoughts for the Arnold Palmer Invitational, this week's PGA Tour event down at Bay Hill. Over at bangthebook.com, we are your one-stop shop for sports betting news and information. 11 of the 13 conference tournaments for this week have been previewed over at the website. I'll be putting together the America East and the Sun Belt here for this afternoon. Also try to get my week five XFL stuff taken care of. It's a very, very busy time of the year to say the least over at bangthebook.com. I wrote up the preview yesterday for the Arnold Palmer Invitational so you can get my thoughts on that. We've got daily NHL from Parker Michaels, daily NBA and college basketball from Alan Moody and Admir Algic. We've got uh, weekly UFC, wrote up a UFC 248 preview this morning, wrote up the NASCAR race yesterday. We do UFC, we do tennis, we do NASCAR, we do soccer, we do esports. We do it all over at bangthebook.com. Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Two guests on today's program. The first professional handicapper, Brian Leonard from wagertalk.com. Brian, how's it going today, man? Hey, everything's going great. Good to be back on the show. Good to have you back on the program here. Good to see you last week as well as you and I did some wager talk videos together, taking a look at some season win total stuff. And of course, the one thing I didn't mention in that long-winded intro, my 2020 MLB betting guide over at bangthebook.com also posted up over on Amazon for just $4.99. So please check that out. We'll circle back to the MLB stuff here in a second, Brian. But first, conference tournaments. Four started yesterday, three start today, including one right in your backyard, the Mountain West Conference. General conference tournament betting strategies here, because this is a different animal than betting the regular season. Yeah, I break my season down into four different aspects. Non-conference, non-conference college basketball. Basically, what the teams are trying to do is just trying to see who plays well together, uh, seeing the coaches trying to see what they have, less thought process on trying to get the wins more on. It's sort of more similar to what you see in exhibition sports, uh, even though the games are a little bit more important because they count on your regular record. And if you're a small conference team, obviously you've got to win every game to get your chance to get to the big dance. But most of these teams um, are just out there trying to see what they have, trying to get ready for the conference season. And obviously you've got your conference season comes next. And that's to me, the most important, that's my most fun part of doing uh, college basketball and, I've had more success doing conference games than anything else. Uh, your third would be the conference tournaments and the fourth being the NCAA tournament. The problem you have in the conference tournament is it's similar to an exhibition season where not every team is out to win. And the reason I say that is in the small conferences, the ones that are starting now, sure, everybody's out there to get that victory. But when you get into some of these bigger conferences, and we've seen it many times, um, a lot of times people will say it's good for a team to lose in their conference tournament. That way they get a few extra days off uh, as they prepare for the NCAA tournament. And in, in that regard, um, the extra days off are worth more than what a conference tournament may be worth. Uh, you see that a lot in the bigger conferences, the Big Ten, the, the ACC, those kind of uh, SEC, that kind of thing. Uh, but these conferences we're talking about right now, for the most part, are the smaller conferences right now. So you know what you're going to get out of everybody going into the tournament. One of the things I like to look at is I get the Blue Ribbon Sportsbook, you know, College Basketball Yearbook every year. Uh, it's an excellent, uh, an excellent source for preparing for college, college sports, college basketball. 
I like to go through and see how these teams are expected to do. And I'm just going through the preseason top 25. Uh, they've got Florida 5. My ratings right now have Florida 35. Uh, North Carolina 12. Obviously, North Carolina's best player was missing for most of the season. That's a team I'll be looking to play on in the conference tournament because you know to be able to be ranked 12th in the country, they have a lot of talent on that team. And that may be something where I think North Carolina may be a play on. And then you have Tennessee, who is 23rd ranked coming into the season. They're about 50th in my rankings. They played a real nice game yesterday and a nice comeback against Kentucky. But those are the type of teams I like to take a look at. And then you can go through the individual tournaments and see who is expected to do well and find out why they haven't done well. Is it because they've had guys that didn't make uh, grades? Is it because guys that were suspended? Is it because guys that were hurt? Um, if a team is ranked highly by their own sports writers coming into the season, chances are they got a pretty good team and a pretty good bunch of guys that can get on a nice run. So I take a look at something like that when I'm looking at these. And, uh, you know, it's their last chance. If, if it's one of those teams that just did not play especially well in conference action, and they're only going to get a one-bid league, those are the teams I like to back when I take a look at these conference tournaments because it's a last-ditch effort, and um, I think there's some value on those type of teams. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Again, teams that did really underachieve, you know, a lot of times, too, those are programs that typically have good head coaches or a reputation for success, something like that. And as a general rule, you know, coaching matters a lot in these conference tournaments because – the better coaches, the guys with the reputations, the guys with all the accolades and banners, they know how to have their teams ready for the month of March. Furthermore, with the quick turnaround, you know, you've got less than 24 hours in a lot of cases before you play your next game. Coaching differences matter. Guys that just see the game better than others, guys that game plan better than others have that built-in advantage because you know, both teams with that quick turnaround, you sort of want to side up with the better coaches a little bit. But you mentioned, you know, teams that had expectations coming into the season that have fallen short of them. That's why a lot of people are kind of flocking towards Utah State in the Mountain West Conference Tournament, because this is the team that was supposed to win this league. This is the team that was supposed to be the best team in this conference. And as we all know, it's been San Diego State. And for San Diego State, you know, they get that loss to UNLV and everyone says, OK, that's a good thing. They lost a game. They don't need to win this conference tournament. Utah State is one of you know the last four or the last eight teams in, something like that. But they want to remove all doubt because you don't know how many bid stealers you're going to get. Utah State, the max motivated team in this Mountain West Conference tournament, to me, I think San Diego State wants revenge for that loss to UNLV. I think that's what they're worried about in that potential semifinals game. I don't know if they're so much worried about winning this conference tournament. So going the direction of Utah State makes sense. And if you look hard enough, you're going to find more of those situations across the country here with 32 opportunities in these conference tournaments. Yeah, you mentioned Utah State. My ratings have them about 37th. They came into the season ranked 15th. So uh, that's from the preseason guide for the Blue Ribbon. So, uh, yeah, that's a team who has underperformed. Um, and those are the kind of teams that we like to take a look at. Another thing I take a look at for these tournaments, and a lot of people say it's not easy to beat a team for the third straight time. Well, that's a falsehood because when you go back and look, if a team has won the first two games and they're playing a team for the third time, they're actually pretty good in that third third time. And a lot of it has to do with just how teams match up. And one of the things I take a look at when I go back and look at how these teams played before is how the team shot from three-point range. And you can compare that to how the teams are on the, on the uh, entire season. And you could find some teams that maybe just shot against this defense shot very well from three and that's why they won as opposed to them being not a very good three-point shooting team or the opposition's very good at stopping the three-pointers so uh you get a lot of false negatives as they would say on something like that when you're looking at how a team did so look not only look at how the teams did against each other earlier but see how the game played out which is a situation where maybe your best player got in foul trouble early uh, you can always check all the box scores and look into that. And uh, that gives you some edges that goes a little bit deeper than what most people do come these uh, conference tournaments. 
I'm trying to find it because I know I saw a straight up record about, you know, not being able to beat a team three times or how difficult it is, this and that. Straight up, actually, it's quite easy. In fact, I, I want to say, don't quote me on this. I want to say it's like 65, 70% winning straight up uh, over the last several years. Don't quote me on that because I can't find it here trying to find it on the fly. And I will try to find it over the course of the show here and see if I can give you the actual number. But a lot of times a team just matches up better. You know, maybe they're just a better team in general, but maybe they just match up well, you know? So that's something you do want to take into account is that you don't just blindly bet it one way or the other, but like you said, find out why that team has won the first two games. Did they just shoot a lot better? Did they force a lot of turnovers? Something like that. A lot of good things to keep in mind. One last thing here, Brian, that I think is very, very interesting from a market standpoint. You know, a lot of times we get overnight lines and, you know, those come out two, three, four, five o'clock, whatever the case may be. But here with the back-to-backs, we get really late postings. We almost get day of the game postings on a lot of these games here because they are back-to-back situations. And a lot of times we see quick line movement. So what, what do you do in, in that respect? I mean, are you trying to get out there, grab these openers, grab that line value, or do you kind of want to let the market settle in a little bit and make sure that you've got all of your personal ducks in a row? Yeah, for my own personal betting, a lot of times I will do the overnights, uh, lower limits, but at least you're getting the better line. But since we sell selections to clients, I want to make sure my clients are able to get those numbers. So uh, I'm pretty much forced from uh, from what I do to release my plays day of, uh, and I think it's better off. You know, you don't want to lay, you don't want to release something in minus three, and then all of a sudden it opens up the very next morning in minus five, and then you got a lot of upset customers, even if it does win, because oh, I didn't play it because it was two points off and that kind of thing. So um, it's something that you, you always have to take a look at uh, when, you, when you're doing these things for the second day. And keep in mind, um, you know, a lot of people will look at something and they'll say, okay, especially when you've got so many buys going on for these tournaments, you know, the top team's getting a buy. I, I saw some, some conference, you know, the, the top two teams got like a triple buy to start the tournament. Um, just because a team played the night before does not mean they're at, uh, a huge disadvantage. Number one, they're not traveling. Number two, they're shooting on the same court where the other team that they're playing has not played on that court. And just look back a few years ago. I, I found it funny. Georgia was in a situation where they played five straight days and everybody I know was fading Georgia every single time. And Georgia continued to cover the spread. These are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that have done this this their entire life. They love to play ball. To give them a chance to get on the court and play an actual game instead of a practice, you kidding? They're excited to get on on that court. So just because a team has played the night before and they're playing a team that has the bye does not mean it's a negative. Yeah, and sometimes, too, it may be a positive because – you play that first game, you get out there, you've got these expectations, you know you're a number one, you're a number two seed, you're supposed to win this conference tournament. You've got the pressure, you've got the nerves, you've got that nervous anxiety, that nervous energy. The other team doesn't have that anymore because you know what, they've already played a game. They've already gotten out there, played on this floor, played in this neutral setting, whatever else. I'm Obviously, the fewer games you have to win, the better off you're going to be. But at the same time, if you have had you know, some sort of layoff, especially a very extended layoff, not playing in 9, 10, 11 days, and all of a sudden you're supposed to cover this big number against somebody, that can be really, really difficult. So I'm not saying that I avoid teams with double buys because it's crazy to, you know, just cross anybody off the list. But I think in some cases it can be a detriment. And it's it's uh, having the buys is different than like in the NFL when you have a buy because – you know who you're going to play. Um, so you're able to practice for them. In these tournament games, until the day before when the game goes final, those teams don't know who they have to play. They, they, they have to prepare for two teams at one point if they are planning instead of one. So um, it's more of an advantage to play these teams that are playing the back-to-back games because they're just out there at that point, and they're, they're not expected to win, as you pointed out. They're out there having fun. Uh, for the most part, it's been a disappointing season for them, and they're playing, as they say, with found money. So um, 
it, the, I, I see this all the time where people just say, hey, you know, they had to play two games in a row or whatever, sometimes three in a row. Keep in mind, these are young kids. They're not like us as we get older that uh, have problems getting out of bed and that kind of thing. I remember when I was young, I, I was excited to play games, and I'm sure they are too. All right, so we transition over to the Major League Baseball side of things here, and we talk about the National League Central Division. Interesting here because you've got the Cardinals – and the Cubs, kind of co-favorites in some places to win the division. Uh, you do see out there five times Cardinals plus 215, Cubs plus 255. Bet Online's got plus 225 on both of them. The Reds are the third favorite pretty much across the market here in that three, three and a quarter to one range. Brewers around five to one in some places. And the Pirates with no hope whatsoever for the upcoming 2020 season. Brian, as far as the NL Central goes, Looking first at the division picture, anybody you like? Anybody you want to take a flyer on to win the division here? Yeah, I haven't been <clears throat> overly impressed. St. Louis's problem is they've got too many good outfielders, and I can't understand why they couldn't come up with a, a trade to the Cleveland Indians and get something back in return, because that's what the Indians need. The Indians got a ton of outfielders, but they've only got one or two that are any good. Um, I'm surprised St. Louis hasn't hasn't made a trade of some of those outfielders to try to better themselves for the rest of the team. Um, you know, I'm not going to write off St. Louis because every year it's a team that uh, is a quality organization and continues to play well, but I'm not overly impressed with what they did in the offseason. Uh, Milwaukee is another team who, to me, is on the back end of their streak. Um they they just went out and paid Yelich $200 million, uh yesterday, which is all good. But, you know, if you're a small market club like Milwaukee is, that's going to hamper your team for for years. And as good, much as I like Yelich, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt the teams overall because you're going to have to cut other guys in order to, in order to make a payroll that you can afford. Uh, the Cubs are a team that had... You know, last year, if you remember, I was it Fangrass. One of the, one of them came out and said that the Cubs were going to win 80 games, and everybody thought they were crazy. But I believe we both agreed on that, and we both had the Cubs under seasonal wins last year, uh, and they end up winning 84, and we cashed that ticket. The Cubs are one of those teams that are so dependent on guys having really good seasons. I don't know if I want to back them. You mentioned Pittsburgh, a team that uh, right now looks like they could struggle for the worst record in baseball this year. But the Cincinnati Reds are a team that I really like. I jumped on them last year. I was a year too early. I was wrong last year. I hope to get my money back on them this year. Uh, the Reds are a team that did a lot in the offseason. They've they brought in some guys that I think are really going to help. Uh, Bauer's coming back for a full season there after the, the way he left Cleveland. We talked about that in the past where um, it was a shock to him, and uh, he's one of those guys that's a little bit strange personality. He likes to be comfortable around his teammates, and he wasn't last year. I expect a big year out of Bauer. So I think the Reds, at the current price, are the best way to go in this division. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, to me, I, I've got my way of approaching this is I'm betting both the Cubs and the Reds to win the division because I don't think the Cardinals can do it. I don't think the Brewers can do it, and the Pirates obviously aren't going to do it. So I think here, if I, you know, kind of take a little bit of a price with both the Cubs and the Reds, I do like the Reds a little bit more. I think the Cubs have a higher floor and the Reds have the higher ceiling. So I think either one of these two teams winds up winning this division. And you know, like I've talked about with the Cubs. I mean, last year, 84 and 78. Yeah, it looks pretty bad, but they went two and 10 in their last 12 games, which really does skew the narrative about this team, especially because they didn't do anything over the offseason. And there is that, you know, when you look at this division, the only team that got substantially better in the offseason is the Cincinnati Reds. And that was already a team that remarkably underachieved last season. I mean, going into like mid-September, they had a they had a positive run differential and they were like 10 games under 500. That was a team that deserved a much, much better fate last year. I know you and I are both on them. I played their season win total over already. I did play the Cardinals season win total under. On the fence about the Cubs, I'm worried about their starting pitching depth, but it does feel like we're kind of reaching a time of torch passing here with the Reds getting better, getting smarter, all in with analytics. People know I love teams like that. If the Reds don't do it this year, 
you will not be able to stop me from spending money on them next year. Yeah, it's one of those things where sometimes you're just a little bit early. I talked about that a couple of years ago with the Atlanta Braves. I really like the moves the Braves have made over the last few years. And uh, it's a team that I think is, uh, is going to be very good for a long time. And they've still got a lot of guys. You know, they talk about their, uh, it's not the same division we're talking about, but that's a team that I was a little bit early on in the past and it ended up, uh, yeah, they're really good. And uh, it's, it's not bad. It's, I'd rather be early on something than be late. And uh, that's what we're doing. We're, we're taking educated guesses on these teams. That's basically what we do for a living. And um, the Reds are one of those teams that I think it's all come together this year. Um, and they're in a division with a Milwaukee team who's been, you know, a, a nice uh, winner the last few years. St. Louis, a team who has had a tradition of winning, is one of the strongest uh, programs in, uh, in the Major League Baseball. And the Cubs, who were a fan favorite team that uh, won the World Series just a few years ago. So the Reds are a little under the radar, even though they made these offseason acquisitions. That's the advantage we have with them being in this division is a lot of people aren't talking about the Reds. So it's, it's the advantage to us. Now, I want to ask you about the two bottom feeders, at least the uh, expected two bottom feeders here. And to call Milwaukee a bottom feeder is, is pretty disingenuous because this is still a team that should be pretty good their season win total under 83 and a half out there at Bet Online. When I saw this one uh, entering the Westgate season win total pool, it was actually 81 and a half. And I sat there and agonized over it for quite some time because that's a low number to me. With the Brewers team, it's very, very smart, very, very invested in analytics. They are very top heavy, though. Keston Hira is very good. Christian Yelich is an MVP candidate. You've got Brandon Woodruff, who's very good. And then Josh Hader, who's one of the best relief pitchers. In Major League Baseball, the supporting cast is what's concerning for me with the Brewers here with some negative sentiment about them with their season win total coming down with them. Now the fourth choice to win the division. How are you kind of approaching Milwaukee here going into the year? Yeah, you've got a lot of these teams that could uh, if they stay healthy, they could win the World Series. If they don't stay healthy, they're going to miss the playoffs. And I take a look at you know, the team as a whole, shortstop, they're bringing Arias from uh, San Diego. Uh, he's the guy expected to get the majority of plays at shortstop. But yet he hasn't done well in his short time in uh, Major League Baseball. And that's not going to say he can't, uh, but he hasn't proven it yet. Third base uh, looks like a combination of Holt, uh, Jerko, and uh, Sogard. None of them are starters to me in Major League Baseball. Uh, center field, Kane's getting a little bit older. He's a guy who depends on his legs. And we've seen this many times where a, a guy who is expected to uh, steal a lot of bases, and especially if you're playing center field, it's, your legs are so important. And as he gets older, that's a concern. And then in right field, they brought in uh, Garcia, uh, who has had injury problems his entire career. When he's in the game, he's, he's a hell of a ball player, but he has a hard time staying, uh, staying healthy. And, uh, yeah, you talked about the pitching staff. Uh, Woodruff Lindblom's, uh, Lindblom's is a guy who uh, came over from, uh, from a, the foreign countries, so he's back in Major League Baseball, and, and he could have some success. But too many questions for me in that regard. Uh, they've got the talent, and it would not surprise me if they're healthy that they're a playoff team. But so many things, you talked about the ceiling and, and, and the floor, uh ceiling's very high but the floor could be very low on this team a team that doesn't really have much of a ceiling and actually has a pretty low floor as well is the pittsburgh pirates their season win total now in the 69 and a half range and quite frankly a lot of people a lot of smart people that i respect think it should be even lower than that they've already battled some injuries here in spring training as well they don't have a lot of depth they don't have jameson Tyon. he's out for probably most of the year if not all of the year Coming back from Tommy John's surgery, uh, you know, Chris Archer just hasn't been what they expected. Austin Meadows was very good for the Rays last year. It feels like that trade is just kind of had a negative impact on the organization as a whole. They fired the team president, fired the GM. You get Felipe Vasquez going to prison for being a piece of shit last year. A lot of bad things going on here for the Pirates right now. But that being said, Brian... You're an underdog better early in the year for Major League Baseball and really throughout most of the year, if you can be. 
are the Pirates a team you're looking for spot plays on, or are you just staying far, far away from this team? I don't stay away from anybody when it comes to being an underdog. Um, my concern with the Pirates, not only do they probably only have one, maybe two guys that are starting for them that would start for an average team, uh, the problem is they're dealing with a lot of unknowns. Uh, Reynolds last year was just a tremendous uh, surprise playing left field for them, but he's only got the one year in Major League Baseball. Dyson, another center fielder with his legs are going, uh, concerns there. Polanco in right field is a guy who, when he plays, he's a decent ball player, but he's been hurt so often. And, uh, you know, it's other, other than Bell at first base, this is a team from an offensive standpoint that he's proven, but what else has been proven on this team? And and you mentioned the starters, Archer's one of those guys that I've heard good things about Archer this year, but he's he's been a guy I've tried to avoid the last few years. I don't want to bet on a Musgrove. I'm hearing glowing things about Musgrove, but still, the is he been is good enough where you could trust him in these situations? Um, you know, Cole's coming back. He's coming back from injury. So they've got some guys brought the same way that are decent players in the starting rotation, but is there a number one on this team? Is there a number two on this team? And that's the problem you have when you're playing in a division where all the other teams have better pitching staffs, better hitting, better hitters. And the, the, from a, from a standpoint of the organization, uh, other than maybe Milwaukee doesn't have that, but you know, Cincinnati, but you know, St. Louis and Chicago have had better organizations. So, uh, I'm not going to avoid, playing Pittsburgh. If the number says to play Pittsburgh, I will, but it's a team that I probably won't be playing on very much when they're a favorite. Yeah. And, and this is a Pittsburgh team. I mean, they're going into opening day with a payroll of somewhere in the 57 to 60 million range, which is quite frankly, I don't care what market size you're in. And Pittsburgh's a fairly decent market. I mean, that's embarrassing. It's, it's one of the reasons why we probably wind up with a labor stoppage here, wind up wiping out at least part of the 2021 season, because you've got teams showing up to opening day with a payroll of 60 million or below uh, you know we'll see the pirates just don't really have a lot of positives rolling in their direction but again early on in the year you know when things are when the playing field is a little bit more level than it generally is maybe that is a spot where you do kind of look to take the pirates a little bit here heading into the season we won't be chatting with brian next week he's got some business to tend to uh, but we will talk with him here in a couple weeks time probably take a look at another one of these divisions around Major League Baseball. But before I let you go, Brian, we got about six weeks left here of the NBA regular season. So tanking will continue, as it always does. Bad teams will maybe have certain spots where we want to play on them, but for the most part, we'll try to stay away. Teams trying to improve their playoff seedings. Teams trying to get to benchmarks in terms of wins, stuff like that. We're we'll looking to play on them. Anything new you've kind of picked up on here in the NBA over the last week or two? Not really. Um, Cleveland's starting to play with a little bit more heart now that uh, the coaching change has come about. Um, they've had basically they've got you know three big men they can count on. They really haven't had all three of them in the game at the same time or playing the same day. They corner like resting them with Thompson and Love and and uh, the the new center they got over from Detroit. Um, so it's going to be interesting how they play. But once again, that's a team that. Uh, when they play a team that's better than them, the other team um, is is basically overlooking them, and Cleveland's really good in that situation. It'll be interesting what happens today, though. They're back home. They're playing Boston, who lost a game in overtime yesterday to Brooklyn um, in a game that they had in hand. And from what I could see, Boston's five best players either will not play or will play limited minutes today. And yet Boston's still a road favorite here. Uh, when Boston's played Cleveland this year, they the way the Cleveland defense was earlier on with with uh, Beeline, um, Boston could basically do whatever they wanted. They had a free moving ball and they were getting open shots all the time. It'll be interesting to see what happens in that game tonight from a defensive standpoint with the Cavaliers. Uh, see if they're able to make those improvements against a team that has one of the most diverse offenses in the NBA. Although they don't have, uh, may not have the better players. It's still the same game plan for Boston. The, the bench guys will do the same thing as the starters should do. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, you just need to look for spots 
in in uh, the NBA at this type of time of the season, and um, that's really how I've approached the NBA over the last couple of weeks of the season for the last few years. The last part of the season, just looking at spots and and seeing where a team may have a letdown, as opposed to uh, being being on every game. You're not going to do that. And the NBA is proven to that. It's like you know baseball. It's the same way, but you got five different pitchers going every week. Basketball, you just got to look for good spots, and uh, that's the way you win in the NBA, in my regard. Brian Leonard, professional handicapper over at wagertalk.com. What's going on over at the website right now, man? Uh, actually, uh, no videos this week. I get a day off, which I'm very excited about. Uh, we were there for a long time last week, as you know, as you took part of it, part in it. But, uh, yeah, taking some time off. Uh, we're actually, it's looking like we're going to do a live show uh, discussing the NCAA tournament for a three-hour show at Caesars. I believe it's going to be on the 16th, March 16th. So if you're a Las Vegas resident and you're out here for the, you know, coming out for the tournament, stop on by on uh, Caesars on the 16th, uh, maybe get some information and be able to talk to everybody and, hey, get a picture with uh, Kelly in Vegas. She's she's really going places and she's uh, she's popular with, uh, with Twitter and all, so... I'm sure she won't mind taking a picture with you. I'm not sure you want a picture of Ralph Michaels and myself, but uh, it'll be nice to meet some of those guys and get some good information. It'll be on March 16th, live three-hour show discussing the tournament from uh, Caesar Sportsbook. Yeah, it's great to see all you guys last week. It was nice to see Kelly again. Nice to meet Minty Betts for the first time as well. Uh, you can check out videos with Brian and I over on wagertalk.com as well as uh, over on their YouTube page. Brian and I did, I think we did three season win totals together. Uh, spring training and then a, a video about ERA FIP and XFIP as well. So uh, good stuff with Brian and I there to check out. Good stuff here on today's edition of Bang the Book Radio as well. Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, and we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks' time here. Hey, I appreciate it and good luck to everyone. There you go. There's Brian Leonard, professional handicapper over at wagertalk.com. And make sure you follow him on Twitter at B Leonard Sports. We got one more guest, one more segment here on this Wednesday edition of Bang the Book Radio. That is Wes Reynolds at Wes Reynolds and the number one, whose work you can hear on VSIN pretty regularly these days. Wes, how's it going today, man? Hey, Adam. How are you today? Doing very well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always. Appreciated your time and Brady Cannon's time last week on Tuesday's uh, edition of the Green Zone. Got to chat with you guys about some baseball for about an hour. That was a whole lot of fun and good to get you back here on my program as well. And we start with a few minutes on the XFL because there's so much going on with college basketball and everything else that I don't think either one of us has really had a whole lot of time to dedicate to this, but like to mention it here on the show when I can Houston, a 13 point favorite against Seattle here on Saturday, total 45 and a half Dallas, an eight point favorite against New York total of just 37 in that game. St. Louis Battlehawks minus three and a half on the road at DC total 39 Los Angeles Wildcats, only a one and a half point favorite at home against the Tampa Bay Vipers, total of 40. Any of those four games stand out to you with some betting opportunities this week? Well, in the first game on Saturday, I could only really be on Seattle in the spot because you're getting Houston price to the moon. They're the only undefeated team in the league. Uh, now, the last two weeks, they've been able to, to, to put up points and yards, of course, that they've done every game. But... They've had to survive. Uh, they were on defense uh, late in both of those games, uh, one against at Tampa Bay and at Dallas, and they had to get a turnover, and they did, so credit to them. Uh, so they were able to survive. Dallas uh, was right on the doorstep of scoring. Uh, Philip Nelson throws a little tunnel screen to the right, goes off the receiver's hands into the Houston defender's mitts uh, for an interception, and then uh, – they intercepted Cornelius from Tampa Bay the week before on the final drive. So Houston, Houston's kind of get, getting all the right buttons pushed here. But uh, now they're all of a sudden close to two touchdown favorites. They're clearly the team that leads the futures market because I think they're basically, if I average it out from the few prices I've seen, they're like three to two, so plus 150. So not a lot of value if you're betting on a team to win the uh, – xfl championship at that short of a price so i would seattle the defense is okay the offense really does nothing spectacular uh but just on the number and just on the situation with houston winning two straight games on the road and coming back home 
maybe could be a little bit flat, maybe could be getting a little confident and feeling themselves a little bit. So it'd be Seattle or nothing. Dallas, with that Landry Jones injury, how much do you think that impacts them here as they're still laying more than a touchdown against the Guardians? Yeah, it does, uh, because I, I don't really know if I have a ton of uh, faith in uh, in Philip Nelson here. Uh, New York, I'm not sure if I want to totally buy in yet. Uh, if I had to, that'd be who I'd take. Uh, you know, Luis Perez was not spectacular at quarterback last week, but he was solid enough. He didn't turn the ball over. He took what the defense gave him. He was able to uh, make some, keep some plays alive and go beyond the first read and, and make a couple plays uh, down the field. But uh, was was very, I think, uh, a basic boilerplate performance, but it was good enough. So if I had to, I'd take New York, but I'm not sure if I'm going to do anything with that game. Maybe, maybe the under at, at 37. The two games on Sunday here, like I said, St. Louis, three-and-a-half-point favorites at D.C. L.A., only a one-and-a-half-point favorite against Tampa Bay, which could catch some people by surprise. It seems like the Sunday games have been better than the Saturday games for whatever reason here in the XFL. But is, is this maybe a buy-low spot on D.C.? I think it very well could be, and that's probably what, I, what I'm going to do here Uh D.C. got uh, healthy and got happy with two mediocre home teams uh, to start the season, Seattle and, and New York, and then uh, and then had to go on the road cross-country against an L.A. team that was 0-2 at the time and, and had needed a win. And uh, you've seen those spots where those teams are like 0-2 or those teams are big home dogs and need a win. And, and pretty much most of the time in this league so far this season, they've been able to get them. Uh, so uh, – D.C. had that last week, and then they uh, went to Tampa Bay last week and got blown out. Look, uh, you're getting a team that scored nine points in the last two weeks. So this is absolutely a buy low. St. Louis was the longest shot on the board to start the season uh, on the futures market. Now, all of a sudden, they're 3-1. and one. This was a team that was getting almost 10 on the road at Dallas. Laid double digits uh, last uh, two weeks ago and covered, almost covered last week. And, and now going to lay four on the road. So I'd be on the defenders. All right. Any thoughts on, on Vipers and Wildcats before we move on to college hoops? Man, I, you know, honestly, I don't really know here because uh, 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 Tampa Bay finally got a win. Taylor Cornelius has been playing better of, of late as, as their starting quarterback. Uh, uh, L.A. Uh, Went on the road, not very good against New York. They had a couple guys injured, so you want to check the injury list, really, for these two teams. Uh, Nelson Spruce and Martez Carter, wide receiver and running back, missed for L.A. So you definitely want to check on their status, I think, before playing this one. All right, let's move over to the college basketball side of things here. Lots of conference tournaments going on. Four of them started yesterday, the Atlantic Sun, Big South Patriot, and the Horizon League. Three of them start tonight. Mountain West in your backyard, Ohio Valley, and the Northeast Conference. I want to touch on the Ohio Valley Conference here real quickly because you've got three really, really good teams in this. Belmont, Murray State, and Austin P. That's your one, two, three here in the Ohio Valley, this conference tournament in Evansville, Indiana. Any thoughts on, on who you like coming out of the OVC here? Yeah, and uh, this is uh, one of the interesting things to look at with these uh, conference tournaments. Uh, uh, the Ohio Valley is one of those teams, uh, like a couple others, West Coast Conference uh, falls into that too, uh, where they protect the top two seeds, which in this case is Belmont 1, Murray State 2, and they get the double buy, where they get the uh, the buys into the uh, semifinal round and and only have to win two games, which uh, I know some people don't like. I don't think it's – I think it's fine, and and I don't mind conferences doing that because, look, they want to put their best foot forward, especially if they're a one-bid league in the NCAA tournament, and you want to protect the teams that had the better regular season. So I understand wh why they do that. Uh, I think Belmont is the best team, but uh, – I think the difference in the odds between the two are really because Murray State has Austin P in their side of the draw, with Austin P being the uh, being the three seed and whatnot, and then uh, 
so so just just looking at just looking at that bracket uh uh and because the, they're on the murray state side uh eastern illinois kind of the trendy dark horse uh they actually beat both murray state and austin p late in the season they, they were both home games and they were both like big time comebacks where they were way down and were able to and were able to uh pull comebacks but uh I guess the good news, if you want to talk about Murray State, they're not going to have to play one of those two teams. So at least one of those two teams will be eliminated in that uh, quarterfinal round. Uh, you know, like let's say Eastern Illinois stays hot, that'll still be their third game in three days if they end up having to play Murray State. So probably from the, the value standpoint, uh, I would go Murray State. Now, it's not a lot. I think they're like uh, two and a quarter maybe plus 250, depending on where you shop. Belmont's the clear favorite, but uh, I will go with Murray State to win this tournament. Well, and this is one of those things, too, where, you know, in a lot of these conference tournaments, you want to sort of figure out what the money line rollover is versus the conference champion line. (laughs) And, you know, I look at something with Belmont here, and and yeah, they're minus 155, and, and I don't think that they lose, you know, to Eastern Kentucky or if Tennessee State or Moorhead State wins that game but you're probably getting belmont minus 155 or something in the conference tournament final anyway because murray yeah. State's a very good team so why risk it you know why risk belmont screwing up for some reason over you know 10 or 20 cents something like that where you could just take them minus 175 minus 180 on a money line play to beat murray state it, it's really all about trying to figure out where the value is in a conference tournament like this for example, looking at you know, like the Northeast Conference tournament, I handicapped that one, and you know I kind of liked Fairleigh Dickinson a little bit, but the Fairleigh Dickinson futures price is not nearly what it would be for a money line rollover. So I advise the money line rollover for that one. You want to try and maximize your investments as much as you possibly can if you're looking at the futures market for these conference tournaments. And this is one in the OVC where why risk Belmont losing you know with that double buy in the semifinals where they're playing a team that's already played a game or two. They already yeah. know the layout of the land, stuff like that. You know, why risk Belmont? Just take the money line against Murray State. Or if you like Murray State, then it's an easy hedge. You know, if Murray and, State gets there, you can just play the other side with Belmont. Yeah, and you'll find this situation a little bit in the conference tournament, these teams with the buys that, you know, ultimately are led to have the different advantages. But a lot of times when you get a team on a buy and I'll play this situation, not across the board every time, but I usually like the team that has had to play a game versus the team that's coming off a buy, especially in the first half, because I think that they have their energy. They have their nerves out because look in a lot of these conference tournaments uh, until you get to the real big guys next week, a lot of these things, it's a one and done for these guys. So when you've already had a game where you've had to play with the uh, with the pressure of knowing, okay, dudes, if we lose here, we're out. You know, we're done. We're not going to the NCAA tournament. So they have that pressure. So what you could honestly do if you really kind of want to get, uh, I guess, crazy with the cheese with a little bit here from a Belmont standpoint, let's say who, who meets Belmont in that semifinal you might get a team that's out there in the first half, like Eastern Kentucky or whoever it is at the top of that bracket that plays Belmont really well in the first half. Then all of a sudden you might have Belmont down in the, the, at halftime. Then you could play Belmont at a better price for that game. So, so yeah, I did, to, to your point, uh, I don't think that there's a ton of value on a Belmont future here necessarily. I think if, you're, if you like them going with the money line rollover would be the way to go. Well, and I think, too, you know, these conference tournaments, if you're paying attention and you're really astute and you're looking for value and you're looking to maximize every dollar you put out there, this is the single best betting market of the entire year. I think these conference tournaments provide the most value, give you the most opportunity because live betting second halves really come into play. I know you play a lot of derivative stuff, too. Like you said, that team that's already been playing in the first half they're kind of set up for more success than the team that comes off the shelf. You know, for example, in the Horizon League, which started last night, it's what, like 10 or 11 days between games for Wright State and Northern Kentucky? Yes. That's a long layoff at this time of the year. It is hard to be in rhythm going from practice to a game. 
So maybe they do start slow in the first half, come back and take care of business and their affairs in the second half. But they, are, the opportunities are endless here. It's my favorite time of the year for betting any sport is conference tournaments. I know everybody loves March Madness and everyone gets caught up in the NCAA tournament. That's awesome. And everyone's filling out brackets. That's cool. This is where you make the money in conference tournaments, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Because look, uh, for the NCAA tournament, you know, you want to welcome them. And I'm not saying this to disparage them, but you get a lot of casual bettors that haven't really maybe been betting this all year because it, you know, they're basically guys that, you know, my, what I would maybe call like the weekend warrior betters, where they're going to bet uh, college football, NFL, but maybe they don't get into the college basketball until either the big conference tournaments or until the NCAA tournament. And you just get so many scenarios, like you were saying here, in terms of uh, a team that has that long layoff, like you said, with the Rising League, right, State and Northern Kentucky. You have a team that, okay, they played Thursday and now they, they won and now they got to play a team on Friday that's off the bye. The team on Thursday has had the sense of urgency and is much more ready, more off than not, not 100% exclusive out of the gate. So you get that and then you get some of these teams that, okay, both these teams have played like three days in a row and then that's what leads you to the totals, man, where they're maybe tired and you know, their fight is going to come. And if they're going to have an effort, you got to think it's going to be on defense. And then you see some really low scoring games in these like conference tournament finals. Right. And of course, you know, you look at second half type stuff too, you know, a team with a big lead that's got to play tomorrow, you know, what's their sense of urgency to keep covering the number a right. team that you know has no tomorrow. Well, they're either going to quit or they're not. And they're that's kind of where going, the game, right. Especially when they know it's their last game of the season. This is where you're going to get the fouls, where you may get, like, on an over-under, you may get a real low-scoring first half, and then all of a sudden it picks up in the second half because when there's no tomorrow, you're going to foul if, if you have any type of chance. Now, obviously, if you're down 20, you're not going to be doing that. You know, you're pretty much resigned to your fate, and basically that'd just be prolonging the inevitable. So what you want to do I mean, you know, if, but if you're you're within single digits, rather, like if you're down 10 or less and there's a minute and a half to go, you know, you're saying, OK, dudes, this is it. We're about to go home. We got to find a way to see if we can get lucky or do something here. So then you start to see the fouls come late. You got several tournaments in your backyard out there in Las Vegas. We won't talk about the Mountain West because with the turnaround time of the show, the first game, three o'clock Eastern time today. No real reason to talk about the Mountain West here, but the West Coast Conference Tournament starts tomorrow night at the Orleans Arena, sold out for the 11th, actually 12th straight year, I believe. So that's pretty awesome for that. Gonzaga, obviously your favorite, and the number one seed. They are minus 365. BYU, who beat Gonzaga during the regular season, plus 350. St. Mary's 12 to 1. San Francisco is kind of the interesting team for me at 35 to 1, but because they run into Gonzaga in all likelihood, kind of a tough thing to take them. But I mean, obviously this is Gonzaga or BYU, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's protected that way. And I mentioned that uh, just a few moments ago when we were talking about the Ohio Valley, this is another double by conference where Gonzaga and BYU are the one and the two. So they don't have to play by. Yeah. Triple by. Yeah, actually you're right. Uh, So they don't have to play till Monday. This tournament, by the way, starts Thursday night. So they don't have to play in the semis till Monday championship game Tuesday. Gonzaga and BYU are both safely in the NCAA tournament as at large as Gonzaga may end up with a number one seed. But BYU is safely in. I actually think St. Mary's is probably uh, uh, maybe not as safe as they would look, but I would think that they would be on the right side of getting in. Uh, we I talked with... Uh, Jim Meehan, who's the Gonzaga beat writer for the uh, Spokesman Review up in uh, Spokane. And we were just going through this tournament. He says Gonzaga is bringing about 5,000 people here. And that Orleans Arena, actually maybe a little more than that, the Orleans Arena is a smaller arena. It's like maybe about 8,000, 8,500. So, yeah, you will probably have a sold-out championship game. It's a small, intimate arena. It, you know, I like the way it's set up, too. 
I like the, those smaller, more mid-sized arenas. But, yeah, you've got three teams that could get a bid here. And uh, I guess realistically could get a fourth because uh, you could get upsets. Uh, you mentioned San Francisco. And that was kind of the team I, I was looking at as well. But the thing is, they're going to be on that Gonzaga side of the bracket. Frisco's the five seed. So they'll get uh, a team on uh, Friday. And then they'll get uh, Pacific got the last, I guess, secondary by Damon Stoudemire done a great job with them this year, 23 and nine. So Frisco will play Pacific for San Francisco plays a lot like St. Mary's because Todd Golden was an assistant under uh, under Kyle Smith. Uh, Kyle Smith's now at Washington State. Kyle Smith was an assistant under Randy Bennett at St. Mary's. So. If you see USF play, they play a lot like St. Mary's. Uh, but uh, they would be maybe the dark horse I would be interested in. Uh, I don't think uh, Pepperdine or Loyola Marymount or Santa Clara or any of those teams have enough. But it's priced into the number already. But Gonzaga and BYU are the two big favorites here because they're essentially getting a triple buy. Yeah, I think if you look at San Francisco here, I mean, they'll be a favorite in their game on Friday against Loyola Marymount or San Diego. Should be a favorite against Pacific, I would think, too, although maybe that's a game it's a little bit closer to pick them. But San Francisco out there, 35-1. to 1. This is a case where the money line rollover probably makes some sense, given that they'd have to beat Gonzaga and BYU. And if you roll over those two prices, factor in the two games that they have to play, but they got to win four games in four days, or five games in Four games in four days, not easy to do, obviously, here to say the least. But, you know, again, it's one of those situations where the money line rollover probably going to pay back better than 35 to 1. Yeah, so uh, that would be, the, the, if I was taking a dark horse and somebody down the board, it might be them. Uh, uh, St. Mary's, I think, maybe could draw some interest. I've seen them at like 12 to 1. And... This is a team that, look, they won this thing last year. If you recall how this played out, Adam, in the West Coast Conference, St. Mary's got beat, blown out in one game and then beaten by double digits in the other by Gonzaga. St. Mary's gets in that other end in that uh, two and three seed game where they only got to play two games. They win that semifinal game, and then they beat Gonzaga in the final, 60-47, to 47, uh, one of the better defensive performances uh, that you'll see in that regard. So, uh, you know, St. Mary's maybe will have the opportunity to do it again because they got beat twice by Gonzaga, played very well in the last game of the season on Saturday, but still ended up losing by 10. So, you know, you got to think Gonzaga is going to be ready for that, getting beat in that tournament because that was absolutely shocking because I think St. Mary's ended up really needing that conference tournament championship to get a bid because they were certainly on the bubble i think this year it's unique in that i think they've already got three teams in no matter what yeah last year gonzaga i went back and looked at this gonzaga was as high as minus 1200 to win this conference tournament last year this year obviously in that 360 350 range so there has been an adjustment in the price three years ago gonzaga was minus 200 won it with ease then last year minus 1200 and they can't win it so that's a, a pretty interesting thing to kind of look at the pricing differences for the Zags there in the West Coast Conference Tournament. Let's talk Missouri Valley Conference Tournament because Arch Madness can get a little bit crazy. This is a very home-dominant conference, but now everybody playing that neutral site there in St. Louis at the Enterprise Center. Northern Iowa is in the tournament, and they are your number one seed. Loyola Chicago, the number two. We all know the, the run that they went on a few years ago. Indiana State and Bradley, three and four. Bradley with Elijah Childs now. He missed a big portion of the regular season. That could be something that helps the Braves out a little bit. Uh, Northern Iowa minus 130. Loyola Chicago, 320. Bradley, the third favorite with Childs, 575. Indiana State, Missouri State, given a chance at 625 here. The Mo Valley looks kind of interesting and, and not as cut and dry as people might think. Yeah, it really does. And uh, I was uh, talking with... Uh... On our on our Green Zone show on Vsin the other night, we were talking with uh, with Dan Bonner, who is going to be on the call for CBS Sports for the uh, Missouri Valley Tournament at Arch Madness this weekend. With uh, where well, at least for the final with uh, Reggie Miller and uh, Kevin Harlan uh, for CBS. And look, I asked him Northern Iowa; they look like they're good enough to be an at-large team, 
but could you potentially get them and if you get a bid stealer here in this league? He believes Northern Iowa at least had to make the final to uh, go ahead and ensure that perhaps that they would get very good at large uh, consideration. That would make them 27 and six uh, going in. And uh, I certainly think that they would probably merit in at large. They only have a couple good wins, really, in non conference. The win at Colorado, I still think, is a good win because I think they're a tournament team. Uh, they did beat South Carolina which is a solid win. I mean, they did, they just didn't get a lot of these quad one wins in the non-conference. But uh, I do think that, that, that they're interesting here a little bit uh, in terms of how this is set up. Of course, uh, seven against 10, eight against nine have to play into the main draw on Thursday. Uh, Northern Iowa, I think, has been really the, the, uh, the best team in the league all year. The best defense, though, is, is Loyola. And they have the kid uh, Cam Krutwig, who you may remember was on was a freshman starting center on that Final Four team, the whole uh, Sister Jean run uh, that they went on that they went on a couple years ago. And uh, Northern Iowa and Loyola actually they played two matchups this year, and they both went to overtime. Uh, Northern Iowa got them in Cedar Falls by five, and uh, Loyola in Chicago got them by nine. So these are these are pretty even teams. Uh, some people were asking me a little bit about Indiana State as a potential dark horse, but Indiana State's been such a good team at home. And uh, they've gotten a little better on the road of late. They actually did win their last two games, but that was against uh, Evansville and Southern Illinois. But they've been, uh, they've been uh, I think, a big-time home team. Uh, they only lost one home game this year, and that was to Missouri State, who at the beginning of the season I would have thought would have won this uh, – tournament they still have a lot of experience but Tyreek Dixon their point guard has been out and is not going to play in this tournament they've been the real disappointment in the league this year 15 and 16 and just nine and nine so I guess uh from a value standpoint if you want to go down the board a little bit uh I might be looking uh, a little bit at, at Bradley uh, in, in that regard uh, uh I think you and I and Loyal are clearly the two best teams Bradley lost both their games against Northern Iowa, lost both their games against Loyola. So there's that age-old thing, and you don't want to necessarily play this blindly, but this is another great situation that we love about conference tournaments. You get those teams that get to play a team a third time. And you don't want to always be on that, especially when there's a talent gap, like, uh, you know, let's say uh, a, a top team in a league, uh, Gonzaga, even though they're not going to play, won twice over San Diego. We don't want to blindly play San Diego in that third game because there's such a talent gap. But you'll get some spots in a conference like this where there's not a talent gap, where they play a team a third time, and we know it's hard to beat a team three times, and you get a little value on that team that's trying to be the Avenger of uh, being swept during the regular season few things I want to mention about this conference tournament. First, if you're staying away from Northern Iowa and Loyola Chicago, play a money line rollover because the team that wins this probably has to beat both of them. Mm-hmm. So a money line rollover is definitely going to pay better. The second thing is that the schedule is a big determining factor here in this conference tournament because you've got the 8-9 game is played at 6.05 Central on Thursday night. That team turns around and plays at noon against Northern Iowa on Friday. So a very, very quick turnaround. When you get to the semifinals, the first game is at 2.35 local time. The second game is at 5.05 local time. The championship game, 1.05 local time, and we spring ahead this week too. So you lose an hour. So the Mm -hmm. team that plays that 5.05 game, which will be Loyola Chicago or Indiana State or Missouri State, whoever advances from that game, We'll have a very quick turnaround time to play Northern Iowa or whoever comes out of the top half of this bracket. So keep that in mind. This is one of those conference tournaments where the schedule provides a very, very big advantage for the number one seed or the team that knocks off the number one seed. So that's a big factor here with Arch Madness. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point by you because uh, the, uh, the, the UNI being the one seed is always accustomed in Arch Madness. On Friday, they play at noon. Uh, in the first game out of the box, noon central time, and then 2.30 on Saturday. So 
yeah, that the, that one uh, again in the four five. I do think have a little bit of an advantage in terms of the time because they get to play early. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a great point. And that's kind of an understated value in the, in the lines in terms of if you're looking at futures markets. Well, we'll try to cover some more of these conference tournaments here throughout the rest of the week on bang the book radio. Hopefully we can get Kyle Hunter uh, back on the mend here and be able to get him on the show. But Wes, while I've got you, I did want to take a few minutes and spend some time here on the PGA tour event this week. Down at Bay Hill, it is the Arnold Palmer Invitational. With the Invitational status, bigger purse, more exclusive field, very good field here. Even though we're missing Tiger Woods, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, we're missing some pretty good players, but still have a solid group nonetheless. First, let's start with the course itself at Bay Hill. What types of players are you looking to play on here this week? Yeah, this is a uh, 7,400 yard, a uh, little bit over that course. Uh, if the wind blows, which is expected to do this week, you may see like a winning score around 11 or 12 under par. Uh, the par fives are all very scorable. The par threes average about 220 yards or so. Uh, there's one shorter one, and then all the rest of them are well over 200 yards. And then the uh, the par fours can be long. So I looked at guys that, you're going to have a lot of approach shots here on the par fours that are 200 yards or more. So I looked at some guys that, you know, that hit them, have good proximity to the hole, had have good scoring averages in terms of uh, 200 to 225 yards. So it's not really like a ball striker's paradise like we get in some of these ones where you really want to look at those strokes gained approach and greens and regulation, the things I seemingly talk about every single week, because those usually matter at those tracks, not that they don't hear, but they're not what jumps out to the forefront because the guys, honestly, that have won this event have been the guys that have putted strongly. And then putting is such a hard statistic to handicap because it comes and goes. There's a lot more variance in that than there is in some of the ball striking statistics, but the guy I went with that was the shortest price of, of anybody, and Rory McIlroy is the rightful favorite at five to one. I'm not going to bet him at five to one though. Here in uh, what is not a full field event, it's an invitational field event, but this, this is 120 some players in in this event. So uh, I went down the board a little bit and went with uh, Bryson DeChambeau at uh, 20 to one. Uh, DeChambeau, uh, look, he's been he's a kind of a quirky guy, and he's been very obsessed with the driving distance but it's working for him he's hitting the ball better he's uh fourth in driving distance he's a guy that was really good with those approach shots from about 200 yards out and with the win this week it could bring his creativity into the game and uh i i, I don't know if i really want to say creativity from a artist standpoint because bryson dechambeau is kind of the ultimate art uh, the ultimate scientist really he tries to quantify everything and, you know, maybe sometimes he's guilty of a little bit of a analysis paralysis by analysis, if you will. But uh, he's a thinking man's guy. And I think he'll he'll do just fine in the win. So uh, DeChambeau 20 to one. And then I went heavy Europeans. Uh, uh, Non-American players have won this event eight of the last 13 years. Uh, the the only Americans that have won, I guess, in the last uh I was trying to look out. Uh, my friend Will Gray of Golf Channel tweeted it out. The only Americans that had, had won here in like the last 12 or 13 years were uh, Tiger Woods and Matt Every, who won back-to-back here kind of as, as a long shot both years. So neither of those guys really are in contention. And Tiger, in fact, is, is not playing. So went European heavy, Matt Fitzpatrick at 50-1, to one, Terrell Hatton at 60-1. to one. Hatton returned to the game a couple weeks ago, uh, had some off-season wrist surgery, and ends up going T6 in a really good field at the WGC Mexico. So he looks like he's back uh, in, in pretty solid form. Uh, Abraham Answer, 70-1, to 1, uh, a Mexican player. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he is one of the guys I talked about, leaders on tour in proximity to the hole from 200 to 225 yards on approach shots. He's number one. And he also fits into this narrative that we've kind of been seeing, Adam. A lot of the guys that have played the President's Cup in early December 
on both sides, uh, USA and international, have gone on to win tournaments earlier this year. Justin Thomas, Adam Scott, Cameron Smith, Mark Leishman, uh, Sungay M, Patrick Reed. So, and I'm even forgetting one or two uh, right offhand. But so, answer kind of fits into that narrative here a little bit. Wes Reynolds, who you can hear on VEASAN, and of course, follow him on Twitter, at Wes Reynolds and the number one. Wes, when can people hear you on VEASAN? Yeah, I'll be on uh, uh, back on uh, Friday night, uh, 6 to 10 Pacific, and then uh, over the weekend, I'm doing the XFL BetCast, so you can go to VEASAN.com for more information on that, and then uh, Monday, back on uh, 6 to 10 Pacific, and then next Tuesday, uh, until we meet again next Wednesday, uh, 6 to 10 for the Green Zone. Five to uh, six Pacific for the Long Shots Golf Show. Always great to chat with Wes. Once again, follow him on Twitter at Wes Reynolds and the number one. Wes, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure, man. There you go. There's Wes Reynolds again at Wes Reynolds and the number one on Twitter. And check him out on VEASAN and in that Point Spread Weekly newsletter. Coming up on our Thursday edition of Bang the Book Radio, we've got another edition of the Betters Box here, where I'll chat National League Central with my five and fly segment, five minutes on each of the five teams in that division. Then we'll also talk with John Ryan about the Big Ten and the Big East and take a look at the NBA and what's happening over there with some buy and sell. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.